everybody and welcome. I'm Pam Pastor, host of the Grace and Peace of God Love Wins podcast. I am thrilled that you found me. There is power in the name of Jesus. As we journey together, we'll unleash discoveries of how to turn a heart of stone into one of moldable clay for the potter to transform. I hope you'll join me and others each week as we adventure and explore life together and periodically we'll delve into my mailbag and answer questions from listeners just like you. If you have a question, make sure and email it to me at pampastorcopywriting at gmail.com. And on a previous podcast, we discussed the word sin or simply missing the mark. We talked about David and how God said he was a man after God's own heart. And yet David needed to call upon the Lord often in prayers of repentance. And friends, the word repentance is another word that just feels prickly. When we say I'm sorry, it somehow seems easier. And it is. We need to take our sorry one step further, though, and we need to add to it turning back from the wrongs while not looking back and moving toward God. The Vines Expository Dictionary defines repentance as attribution both to God and to man. It's God's immutability, but that aspect of his mind is changed towards an object that has itself changed. So this is saying that God changes his mind towards us when we ask for his forgiveness. And this brings us to reconciliation, which means changing from enmity with God to friendship with God. And allow me to share two examples of what this repentance reconciliation looks like. The first example comes from the story of Noah. Earth was no longer the perfect paradise that God had intended. It was frightening to see how quickly humanity had forgotten about God. Incredibly in all the world, only one man and his family still worshipped God, and that man was Noah. Because of his faithfulness and obedience, God saved him and his family from a vast flood that destroyed every other human being on earth. And we're shown how God hates sin and judges those who enjoy it. In the book of Genesis chapter 6 verse 6, it says, So the Lord was sorry he had ever made them. It broke his heart. This is not saying that God was sorry for creating humanity. God had not made a mistake. But in 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 29, he says, And he who is the glory of Israel will not lie, nor will he change his mind, for he is not human that he would change his mind. Instead, he's expressing sorrow for what the people had done to themselves. This is like a parent that might express sorrow over a rebellious child. And God was sorry that the people chose sin and death over a relationship with him. An excellent illustration comes from the parable of the prodigal son. A repentance from sin is seen as the son turns from sin back to the father. And we're called to turn away from sin back unto God. We see Father God through the eyes of Jesus, and Jesus knows the will of the Father. So when we pay attention to Jesus' teachings, we begin to become in sync with the Father. And Jesus began his entire ministry with a call to repentance. 
If you remember in Matthew chapter 4, verse 17, it says, From then on, Jesus began to preach, Turn from your sins and turn to God, because the kingdom of heaven is near. And Jesus made the call for repentance personal versus the Old Testament where the prophets who called repentance were doing so onto the nations. And in the Gospel of John, we're told to turn from sin toward God by faith. And that is what Jesus is doing here. In the book of Matthew, we read of Jesus reminding the people of the need for repentance. He shares a story about the ancient cities of Tyre, Sidon, and Sidon, and all who had a history of wickedness. Each of these cities were destroyed by God for their evil and unyielding attitudes toward repentance. And yet Jesus is citing how the people of the cities of Bethsaida, Chorazin, and Capernaum, Capernaum all saw Jesus firsthand and remained willful, stubborn, and unwilling to repent. The parallel Jesus was making was that if the people from the first grouping of what was considered the wickedest cities in the world would have seen him, they would have repented too. And ironically, this next grouping of people who did not see him were unwilling to repent. Kind of reminds me of the story of the Apostle Thomas. But they saw Jesus and they still did not believe. They would suffer even greater punishment. And now Jesus is telling us with nations of churches that are filled with people and houses that have Bibles like these cities, there will be no excuses left at the end of the day. Jesus says, I assure you, Sodom will be better off on judgment day than you. Ouch. Friends, this is a clear wake-up call to get right with Jesus. This is not a storybook fiction nor campfire stories as some have claimed. He knows the will of the Father, and through Jesus, we're shown the will for the Father's creation. In the book of Luke, Jesus said this, And there will be great weeping and gnashing of teeth, for you will see Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and all the prophets within the kingdom of God, but you'll be thrown out. Then people will come from all over the world to take their place in the kingdom of God. And note this, some who are despised now will be greatly honored then, and some who are greatly honored now will be despised then. When we take life at face value, we think all religious leaders will be in heaven. All good people will be there too. This is contrary though to what God's word teaches. A person cannot claim allegiance to Jesus and his teachings and be morally corrupt. Jesus calls all of us to repentance for our sins. And the good news is that when we sin and ask for forgiveness, Jesus is true to his word and he does forgive a truly repentant heart. And this is a great place to jump into the mailbag and answer a question. So let's take a look at what we have. Question, if God forgives sins upon our confession, why does it seem like consequences continue to remain? Well, that's an excellent question, but here's what God's word says. In Acts chapter 9, we find Saul, who was a zealous Jew for his faith. He began a persecution campaign against anyone who believed in Christ or otherwise known as the way. On the Damascus road, Saul was confronted by the risen Christ and brought face to face with the good news. 
And this was an example of Christ breaking into a life in a spectacular manner. Paul saw the risen Christ, not a vision, and acknowledged him as Lord. And when I say Paul, I'm referring to Saul, who had a later conversion. They changed his name after all of this to Paul. It says that he confessed his sin. He surrendered his life to Jesus, and he resolved to turn toward him in obedience. Acts chapter 9 verses 15 and 16 say, But the Lord said, Go do what I say, for Saul is my chosen instrument to take my message to the Gentiles and to the kings as well as to the people of Israel, and I'll show him how much he must suffer for me. Faith in Christ brings much blessings and sufferings. We're called to commitment with God, not comfort. He walks with us through the fire, but does not promise to spare us from the fire. The prophet Nathan is used to rebuke David of his sin. He tells him the story about two men. One was rich, the other was poor. The rich man takes from the poor man. David wants justice and furiously declares, As surely as the Lord lives, he vowed, any man who would do such a thing deserves to die. He must repay four lambs to the poor man for the one he stole and for having no pity. So first Samuel chapter twelve verse seven, Nathan Nathan said to David, You are that man. The Lord God of Israel says, I anointed you king of Israel. I saved you from the power of Saul. I gave you his house, his wives, and the kingdom of Israel and Judah. And if that had not been enough, I would have given you much, much more. Why then have you despised the word of the Lord and done this horrible deed? The prophet Nathan was called by God to confront David's sin. Imagine if you had to confront a king. Nathan must have been a courageous man who spoke truth in a tactful, straightforward manner. Whenever we have to confront others, whether it's a family member, church member, or person at work, best practices would have us pray for diplomacy, courage, and skill to have a productive, fruit-bearing conversation. Thinking through what we're going to say is equally as important versus how to say it. We should strive to season our message with both salt and wisdom. So here's a question for you. Have you ever sinned and allowed time to fill the space between your sin and your confession to God? Well, this is what happened to David. An entire year had gone by, so he wasn't sensitive to his sin. He didn't recognize that he was the villain in Nathan's story. Have you ever maybe found yourself condemning another person only upon self-reflection? We find that we're the ones with the very flaws we see in someone else. Think for a moment about family members or business associates that you find easy to pick apart and criticize or simply think that they're hard to accept. We need to be in prayer, asking God to soften our hearts towards them. We should expect them, we shouldn't expect them to change, but through the power of prayer, we can. This will help us to remember there's no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. David did what I'm suggesting we do with unconfessed sin, and that is to repent again, meaning to tell God we're sorry, turn away from this sin, and turn back towards God. What did David face as consequences for his sin when he slept with Bathsheba and had her husband murdered? Well, 
First, murder became a constant threat for his family. Secondly, his household rebelled against him. Third, his concubines, who were slightly lower than wives, were given to others in public view. And fourth, once he was married to Bathsheba, their first child died. And I'd ask you to think about his about this now. Had David known what the consequences were going to be for his sin, do you think he would have thought twice before having no regard other than that of being in the moment? Or do you think his judgment might have been improved? Well, this is good to keep in mind the next time a temptation comes your way. During the incident, when the prophet Nathan confronted David, he would go on to write Psalm 51, and we're given a tremendous line of sight into David's true character through this psalm. We cannot and should not define someone by their failures or their mistakes. Even God looks upon his children seeing Jesus after repentance. When he can turn back toward us, his word says in Psalm 103 verse 12, he's removed our rebellious acts as far away from us as the east is from the west. And why this scripture verse is so significant is because the east and the west can never meet. This is symbolic of God's forgiveness toward his children. When God forgets sin, it is no more. He doesn't even remember it. We're the ones who bring up the past and we wallow in it. Because we follow God, we too must mirror his forgiveness. If we have an opportunity to forgive others, we must also forget their offenses too. This means we will truly have forgiven and turned towards God. So what did Psalm 51, what was it about? It was about David's plea to God for mercy, forgiveness, and cleansing. And God wants our hearts to be right with him. So let's read Psalm 51 now. Have mercy on me, O God, because of your unfailing love, because of your great compassion. Blot out the stain of my sins, wash me clean from my guilt, purify me from my sin, for I recognize my shameful deeds, they haunt me day and night. Against you and you alone have I sinned. I've done what is evil in your sight, you will be proved right in what you say, and your judgment against me is just. For I was born a sinner, yes, from the moment my mother conceived me. But you desire honesty from the heart, so you can teach me to be wise in my inmost being. Purify me from my sins, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Oh, give me back my joy again. You've broken me. Now let me rejoice. Don't keep looking at my sins. Remove the stain of my guilt. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a right spirit within me. Do not banish me from your presence, and don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me again the joy of your salvation, and make me willing to obey you. Then I will teach your ways to sinners, and they will return to you. Forgive me for shedding blood, O God, who saves. Then I will joyfully sing of your forgiveness. Unseal my lips, O Lord, that I may praise you. You would not be pleased with sacrifices, or I would bring them. If I brought you a burnt offering, you would not accept it. The sacrifice you want is a broken spirit, a broken and repentant heart, O God, you will not despise. 
Look with favor on Zion and help her. Rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. Then you'll be pleased with worthy sacrifices and with our whole burnt offerings. And bulls will again be sacrificed on your altar. David knew what true sorrow for his actions was. He was fully aware that his selfishness in the moment had hurt many people. He had committed adultery with Bathsheba and then had her husband moved to the front lines in battle with an excellent chance he would be killed. And you guessed it, he was. So now David had committed adultery and participated in the murder of Uriah. Isaiah chapter 55 verses 6 and 7 tells us to seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord and he will have mercy on him and to our God for he will abundantly pardon. David did exactly as the scripture teaches. He approached the Lord through prayer and repentance. Some people feel their sin is too great to approach the throne room of God, but in reality, that's a very arrogant position or stance to take. God sent his one and only beloved son to earth to die for humanity's sin, past, present, and future. For all who would believe in this free gift of salvation, Almost everyone likes to be given free gifts. While prices in our world are out of control, Jesus' price remains priceless. God stands on his word and tells us he will forgive us when we show repentance. Yes, there's some fine print with this offer. Not all sins have natural consequences to work through, but some do. Unfortunately for David, his life and family were never the same again. This didn't mean that God loved him any less. No, remember, God knew David had a heart after God's own heart. But the book of Exodus tells us that God wants to show us his unfailing love to many thousands by forgiving every kind of sin and rebellion. Yet he says he doesn't leave sin unpunished. He punishes the children for the sins of their parents to the third and fourth generations. This means that families, grandchildren, and great-grandchildren are affected by their actions. Obvious sins are ones such as child abuse or alcoholism, but others that are not so obvious are selfishness and greediness. We must not treat these sins in a casual manner, but instead we need to repent and turn back toward God. This may cause us some momentary pain, but in the long run, we'll be honoring our future children, grandchildren, and great-grandchildren. And David did recognize it was God who had sinned against, that he had sinned against, and only God. So how could David have made that argument? Here's how. It's our offense toward not living God's way when we sin against him. It's rebellion against God. Even though David's sin did include a victim in Bathsheba, the world would argue that they were both mutually consenting adults and by the world's measure, no one got hurt. But this isn't true. People did get hurt. Bathsheba's husband Uriah was murdered. And when David and Bathsheba married, their firstborn child died. We're born into this world as sinners. We come by it being selfish honorably. It's natural to think about pleasing self rather than pleasing God. So the question becomes when and not if we sin, how then do we obtain cleansing from God? And like David, we must ask God to cleanse us from the inside out, create a right spirit within us, 
fill our hearts with new desires, thoughts, attitudes, and intents. For our conduct to be in right standing, we must have a clean heart and spirit. And this is something God longs to give his children. All we need to do is ask. Sin places God at a distance from us. David cried out to God to restore in him the joy of his salvation. He had been confronted by the prophet Nathan, and he realized that the wedge between he and God was in place because of that sin. It's God's desire that we confess our sins and live in a close and intimate life with him. Yet when we don't come unto confession, intimacy with God is impossible. Only then will we have our joy and fellowship with God restored. God is merciful and gracious. His love is unending and unfailing. Because of our imperfections, we cannot see God for who he is in all of his holiness except through Jesus. And Jesus says he will show himself to those who believe. We see God's glorious presence through his character, his nature, and his relating to his creation. We should always attempt to glorify God through our character as we resemble his. When we receive this grace gift from God, we will want to extend forgiveness to all who are desperately seeking it. Remember, it's a privilege of the forgiven to forgive. When we're able to move forward beyond the sorry, what is it that God sees in us? He sees a humble spirit and a contrite heart. We cannot do enough works to please them, no matter if they're all kingdom building works. If our our heart attitude is not right, nothing else will matter. Remember to be sorry for the sin and genuine in all attempts to stop and turn away from it. Turn toward God and this is what will please God. When we're back in fellowship with God and following his commandments, his word says in Jeremiah 33, 3, call to me and I will answer you and show you great and mighty things which you do not know. So friends, today, if you want to become a child of God and spend eternity in heaven, not somewhere else, then I invite you to pray this prayer of invitation to our Lord Jesus Christ. Simply repeat after me. Lord Jesus, I repent and turn away from my sins. Come into and take up residence within my heart. I believe your blood was shed for all who believe that you took on the sin of humanity at the cross of Calvary. Amen. Friends, if you prayed that prayer of salvation, I believe you were saved and born again spiritually. Your next step is to read God's word daily so he can guide, direct, and reveal himself to you. Get into a good Bible-based church to surround yourself with other believers. Now, let me be the first to congratulate you on the most important decision you've ever made. God bless you. And as you go out into the world, remember the priestly blessing and benediction from Numbers chapter 6, verses 24 through 26. May the Lord bless you and protect you. May the Lord smile on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord show his favor and give you his peace. Amen. And friends, the Grace and Peace of God Love Wins podcast will be available most days during the week. A special Kid Talk podcast will air on Wednesdays. And tune tune in along with your children for your favorite Bible stories that you grew up with. 
We'll be discussing and sharing Jesus's unlimited power in our present day lives. We'll delve into many topics such as forgiveness, how to be joyful, and what love in action looks like, and many more topics. So I invite you and your friends to come alongside me as we embark on a podcast of adventure and exploration of life together. So please join me. And if you like this podcast, make sure and like and subscribe so you'll get the latest episodes when they become available. Until next time, be blessed.